That land I, my app keep for Church Center keeps crashing on me. I can't seem to keep it open. So if you've got questions, you probably have to get get them to me in a more circuitous route here because my app is not working. Uh, so if somebody notices a question being asked there, uh, please alert me to that because I can't uh, CC that. Okay, well, let's go ahead and begin with a word of prayer. Let me see here. Uh, who did I have last week? Paul, could I have you open in prayer? Sure. Heavenly Father, we thank you again to be able to study your word, and we thank you for Dr. Snowberger, Lord. We pray you'll just be with him. Give him wisdom that he can impart to us, Lord, and we can go refreshed and learn more about you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Okay, just a little bit of review from last week here. So what are the, we, we started by looking at what we called inadequate views of the uh, rapture. So what, what, what might those include? Partial. Partial rapture. What, so what, describe that for me. Um, only the, the good believers are going. The other right. ones are going to be hanging around. Okay, so what's wrong with that? Right, so it is faith, and, and it, it, it's this this whole idea that has persisted a lot uh, for 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 centuries in in Protestant life that there are two tiers of believers. It really goes back to the second century Gnosticism uh, that there are there are regular believers and then there are super believers, and I think it really perpetuates that idea. And then we also have that problem of of the uh, the marriage of the Lamb that takes place in heaven during the tri during the tribulation. And if, the, uh, if some of the church saints are left behind, why, we have one of the more unusual weddings, uh, and half the bride is, is, is not party to the, uh, to the party. So, uh, let's, uh, so that's, that's one. What's another possibility? Mid-tribulational, and it's also called what? The, there's also a couple of different variations pre-wrath rapture is a variation of that. Usually that's not right in the middle. It's closer to the end, but it's during the tribulation. And so the view here is that uh, the church will go through parts of the tribulation, uh, but not the great and terrible part of the tribulation, which would be the last half. And this, this goes all the way back to the uh, first century, first, first, second, third centuries. Uh, where believers thought things had become so bad that it couldn't possibly be anything other than the tribulation, and yet they anticipated being rescued from the uh, worst parts of the tribulation. And that, that idea has persisted, uh, has been, uh, has been uh, uh, held up by uh, uh, the, the, the last trumpet reference here, uh, which perhaps could suggest that the rapture takes place along with the last of the trumpet judgments, which corresponds to the uh, raising of the two witnesses in the book of Revelation, Revelation 9. Okay, uh, But we, we suggested that that uh, probably doesn't work either. Uh, and uh, what were some of the reasons we gave there? Okay, so the imminence issue is, is, is very important. If, in fact, it happens at the midpoint, or the twelfth, or at the seventh of the trumpet judgments, you should be able to time it. You should hear the first six and say, okay, it's about time. Uh, maybe not precisely to the day, but uh, get pretty close. 
In fact, if it is right at the middle, we probably could go to the day because Daniel's pretty precise, 1260 days. Uh, so you would be able to count them. So imminency wouldn't really work. Um, we also said that, that last trumpet probably is an end times judgment uh, trumpet. Uh, same thing with those and, and the fact that these two witnesses rise is probably not to be connected with the rising of the rest of the church. Um, and so it, uh, and we also said, you know, the first half of the tribulation is a time of incredible wrath uh, that is indiscriminate uh, all throughout the earth. Half of the earth's population dies. Uh, so it's hard to imagine that being, it, it, living through the first half of the tribulation, being saved from out of this uh, wrath that is to come. Okay, so what's the last of the inadequate views we had? post-tribulational post rapture, and most proponents would not even use rapture language. Nonetheless, they would recognize that something does happen. What happens? Okay, so, so there'll, be, there'll be a gathering of God's people to sort of act as an entourage, an escort, to bring, so go up, escort him down to the earth, and, uh, and uh, so that, the, uh, sec so that the, uh, this is the second coming, and the millennial state would uh, ensue shortly thereafter. Okay, so what would we say are some of the problems with that? Matthew 24. Okay, specifically? Well, specifically, opposed to Grudem, uh, that that's, Matthew 24 is not of the church age, it's for, it's for Jews. Okay, right, so it's a misunderstanding of the Olivet Discourse. Uh, which is directed towards Jews who will be living through uh, the tribulation and gives instruction for those as Matthew is wont to do. Uh, give instruction for specifically for Jewish believers. Uh, what else? What does John 14 tell us about Christ's coming? Yes, he's going to take us to a place that he is preparing. Not that he's going to come and have a stay, okay? He's, going, he's taking us away to a place that he is preparing in heaven uh, for these seven years, okay? Um, also, we said there were a, a you know, couple, couple of things to it. It's an unusual usage of that verb to act as an, as an escort. can happen that way, but it's a... But it's a, it's a rare usage of that verb, and so uh, probably uh, I don't usually want to go uh, rare. Uh, we also have the uh, same problem of imminency, again, so the so same, same issue there. Um, and then the, the big problem that, uh, uh, that Doug Moo uh, admitted to is that there's no way to have a millennial population of of those who are in their natural bodies, uh, because at the rapture we receive our resurrection bodies, and so the idea uh, that someone that, that there would be people persisting into the millennial state who could engage in a riot at the end, an insurrection, uh, doesn't seem to work. Uh, where that does make sense within the uh, pre-tribulational approach. So there's a lot of problems with all of those views, and of course there's. There's always the view, too, that we didn't really, uh, we could say the ah rapture view, that there, that there, there isn't even anything even resembling a rapture takes place. Christ simply comes as a, as, a, 
as once in the second coming, and there is there is no division at all in this coming. Uh, there is no uh, rapture uh, to be seen uh, at all. Okay, but we saw that there is a sense of a rescue from the wrath to come. Revelation three ten was our first text that we went through, written to the church at Philadelphia. Um, and uh, we walked through it. The verb here, kept from, it's not kept through, but kept from. Uh, the, and, the, uh, and the context here is not of final wrath, but of eschatological wrath. Uh, so the, the wrath that would be associated with this hour of testing uh, that is about to come across upon the whole earth. Okay, so it's a universal uh, testing. It's not a local one restricted to the Philadelphian church, but one that is universal, and yet is not in, it, that is that is not the final uh, wrath. This final hour of testing that is uh, that we would we would call the, the judgment in the lake of fire. We come now to the Thessalonian epistles, and we find in several texts here because the uh, uh, much of Thessalonians is given over. Uh, to addressing this question that the Thessalonians had. They are going through pretty significant persecution as, as, as a church here, and they are wondering what's going on, what's wrong. Uh, have, they, have they missed something? Uh, because they weren't anticipating this level of persecution. And so they had gotten into their heads as we as we look particularly through 1 Thessalonians 2 and 3, there's this, there's this thought, did, did we miss the rapture? Did we miss the removal because we didn't expect to go through tribulation? And so throughout the Thessalonian epistles, uh, Paul is addressing this question and is saying, no, you haven't missed the rapture. There is persecution, but this is not to be confused with the great tribulation, okay? In fact, Christ promised that we would have persecution in this world. Okay, so first reference this to this is in 1 Thessalonians 2, uh, verse 10. Uh, how that, uh, uh, you know, coming back in context, that they themselves re report the reception you gave us, you turned from, to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. Okay, so there's a wrath that is coming that Jesus will come to rescue the church from. And the phrase again here that's used, most commonly translated rescue from, clearly can't mean deliverance through. Okay, so the promise here is that they will be rescued from wrath, not delivered through. Uh, the tribulation. This latter translation would really be absurd for every other usage of, the, of this phrase in the New Testament. Lot was rescued from Sodom. He was, not, he was not rescued through, delivered through it. He was rescued from. He was, he was removed. Paul was delivered from death. Not through death. He was, he was, he was rescued. Believers were rescued from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son. And Paul was rescued from the lion's mouth. I mean, that's actually a real absurdity if he was rescued through the lion's mouth. Okay, so he was apparently spared, we don't know the details, but it's apparently spared uh, the, uh, the gladiatorial games that he was perhaps, there was per perhaps some suggestion that he um, 
was slated to be part of that and to be devoured by animals publicly, but somehow he escaped that, um, and no details are given. Okay, And uh, so the deliverance of this wrath is the arrival of Jesus from heaven, and this wrath, while eschatological, end times, is clearly not the final wrath of hell, because the question, as we've seen, we see through chapters 2 and 3, is we're going through tribulation. Could this be the wrath that we were expecting to avoid? They did not think they were in hell. Okay. They thought they were going through severe tribulation and trial, but they did not confuse that with the flames of hell. Okay. And so their, their question was not, have we died and gone to hell? but rather have we missed the escape from this period of wrath uh, that is about to come upon the whole earth. We continue on through uh, 1 Thessalonians. Of course, chapter 4 gives us one of the more well-known uh, treatments here of this coming of Christ. We don't want to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. We believe Jesus died and rose again, that God will bring Jesus, with Jesus all those who have fallen asleep in him. Again, part of the question that the Thessalonians had is, what, what happens to all of these friends of ours who became believers and who didn't survive the persecution? What's going to happen to those? Well, those of you who are alive will not precede those who have fallen asleep. Okay? They actually get a pride of place when the rapture occurs. Okay? They go first. Okay? The Lord himself will just come down from heaven with a shout, a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. So they get pride of place. And after that, probably not very long after that, but after that, we who are still alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we be with the Lord forever. Encourage one another with these words. So there's this, this promise of, of Christ coming to rescue us and also to, to reward those who have fallen asleep in Christ, these companions of the Thessalonian epistles, uh, the Thessalonian believers uh, who had died uh, not having uh, received uh, their reward yet. Now, now it goes on to chapter 5 and gives some more instruction here. Now, brothers, about these times and dates and seasons, we do not need to write to you. Of course, this, this language is reminiscent of, of Peter and especially of Daniel, who, who, who look into the times and the circumstances and details of these prophecies that are, to be, that are to come and are not given the information they wanted. They longed, they looked eagerly and longed for this information. And yet, what does God tell Daniel when he asks about the details, about the times and the seasons? He says, shut the book. You don't get that information. And so Paul brings this up and says, so about these times and dates, okay? These, and, and, and Daniel's bristling with those, right? Okay, these, these times, 1260 days, 1260 days, and then another extra 75 days. And, 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 and so there's all kinds of times and seasons, but Daniel's not quite sure in the, in the 77s and all that. He's not sure he's pinpointed all of the times that 
have been, that he has written about. And so he asks for clarification. God says no. And Paul does the same thing. We don't need to write to you about the times and the dates, but this identifies for us what he's talking about, this period of tribulation, this 70th seven, these 1260 days and the 1345 days that are, that, are, that are given in detail, but you don't know exactly when it's going to happen because this seventh, this, this 70th seven is sort of detached from the other 69, right? And so Daniel asks, okay, when? But we know that what is Paul is talking about is this period of time. You know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night while people are saying, peace, safety. Destruction will come upon them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you, brothers, are not in darkness so that this day will surprise you like a thief. It may surprise us, but not with the negative connotations of a thief entering into the house. You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We don't belong to the night or the darkness. So then, let us not be like the others who are asleep, but let us be alert, self-controlled. For those who sleep, sleep at night. Those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let's be day people. Let's be self-controlled, putting on faith, love as breastplate, and the hope of salvation as a helmet, because God has not appointed us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Christ, who died for us, that we, whether we are awake and alive, may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Again, so this same, same rubric that ends as a chapter 4. Okay, so the, end, the context, again, demands eschatological wrath, but it's not final damnation. This is the times and the seasons of which Daniel wrote earlier. And uh, the context suggests here that the instruction is greater than for just the Thessalonian church. And that's typically how we read most of the, uh, the epistles of the New Testament. Again, even though they were written for specific occasions and for specific churches and places and geographic locations, we do recognize that these all letters are all written for, for the church at large. Okay? And we usually treat them that way, right? And so this is, this is no exception here. So the Thessalonian epistles are given, given this assurance that they, since they are day people, they won't be surprised by the coming of Christ as though a thief had come. Rather, they are alert and prepared and watchful, knowing, verse 9, that they are not appointed uh, for the wrath that is connected with the times and the seasons. Okay. And then 2 Thessalonians gives us perhaps uh, one of the more the better known, but perhaps less well attested uh, passages here about the rapture here. 2 Thessalonians 2, 6-8 speaks about the removal of what's called a restrainer. Know now, verse 6 says, um, and now you know that what is holding him back, he's just been talking about the man of lawlessness who is about to come, okay? What's holding him back? Uh, you know what is holding him back so that he may be revealed at the proper time, okay? So I, I'm inclined to think that Satan doesn't know any more than we do when this 
rapture is going to occur, when, the, when he's going to get his opportunity, his chance uh, at world do domination. It, I, I'm inclined to think that he's always got some sort of plan in preparation uh, waiting for that time. Now, I don't, I don't want to point to any historical figure and say, aha, that was the potential Antichrist here. I think that would be rather risky to do here. Um, but, uh, but at the same time, I don't think it would be Im improper to think that Satan is doing that. He's preparing men of sin for this opportunity that he has, but there's something holding him back so that he may be revealed at the proper time. For this secret power of lawlessness is already at work. Okay? You know, Satan's, Satan's constantly maneuvering here. But the one who now holds it back will continue to do so until he's taken out of the way. Now, Paul uses somewhat cryptic language here, but there is something holding this restrainer back and preventing him from asserting himself. But he won't do so forever. He will do so. This restrainer, some of your translations have, this, trans, this restrainer will continue to restrain until he's taken out of the way. And then the lawless men, one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will overthrow eventually with the breath of his mouth and destroy by the splendor of his coming. Okay, and so this coming of this lawless one will be in accordance with this work of Satan displayed in all kinds of counterfeit signs and miracles and so on and so forth. Okay, so there's this antichrist in waiting, and what's preventing him is what the scriptures here describe as the restrainer. Now, again, Paul uses rather cryptic language. Uh, some have suggested here that it may be the Holy Spirit, uh, but uh, the fact is the Spirit is not taken out of the way. Uh, in the tribulation. The Holy Spirit remains quite active uh, in the tribulation. But there does seem to be specific works of the Holy Spirit that are, that are removed. Specifically, the Holy Spirit's energizing power in dwelling a vast number of individuals who are the church. Okay? And that seems to be the restraint, right? Uh, the restraint on evil in this world is due in no little part to the fact that there are a lot of believers uh, that, are, that are keeping people from being as bad as they possibly can be. And when all of those are removed en masse, it doesn't take long then for people to start becoming really, really, really bad. Okay? And so it, it appears here that this passage is describing then the, the removal of the restraint of the, uh, collection, the collective of believers that is the church. Okay? So I think all of those come together to give us a pretty good uh, argument here, biblically, exegetically, uh, that the uh, rapture of the church is going to come prior to the revelation of this man of lawlessness and a time of intense wrath, okay? and the church will escape this. Okay. Questions up till this point? Okay. 
felt like a laughable thing that somebody could ever, somebody would dream of this. Okay. Yeah, there are a couple, a couple, couple of strands in, in answer to that. One, I'm, I'm not sure it's true that there is no demonic activity. Now, maybe we, I think Satan's pretty clever. You go overseas into uh, certain cultures, um, there does seem to be considerably more. Okay, I, I've been in India, I've been in Africa, and there are some pretty wild things that are going on down there. Okay, so so there is so so and 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 I don't want to say either that that the demonic is not active in our Western society either, but. There is a sense, I think, in which we have a society that doesn't anticipate, doesn't expect those kinds of things, and our wily Satan knows how to how to how to maneuver in a in a in a Western society too. Doesn't mean he's inactive, uh, but perhaps not quite as overt and blatant um, in in what he's doing. Secondly. It does seem that the miracle clusters of the Bible, uh, times where we find miracles occurring both by, you know, by the good guys, right, the, the prophets and the apostles and Jesus Christ himself, seem to be connected with the rise and fall of the kingdom. Okay? So we have a cluster of miracles at the establishment of the kingdom back in Exodus. We see a cluster of miracles and, and, and the attendant de demonic <coughs> pushback, right? You know, with, with Moses, he's going after ten gods of the Egyptians, right? Uh, who, who can do magic tricks, okay? And our God is bigger and better than that. Same thing happens uh, when, when the kingdom is in crisis under Ahab, uh, where the kingdom is, is teetering. On the, on the edge of going into total apostasy. And you've got the, 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 the prophets of Baal and Elijah going back and forth here. And you see another cluster of miracles with Elijah and Elisha as the kingdom, there, there's, there's a struggle to keep it together. Of course, that kingdom effectively dissolves, and then the king arrives, right, in the Gospels. And so here comes this king. And, and Satan goes all out to stop him, okay? Because here, here, is, here is the divine king, and he goes all out to stop him, and Jesus pulls out all the stops to accomplish his mission, okay? And then there is a miracle cluster at the end when the kingdom is finally established in all of its glory, okay? So it, it, I think sometimes we have this idea that, that miracles and demonic activity was sort of monolithic. It's, it, it's always at the same rate. But there's, there's really four major clusters of miracles and, and the corresponding demonic activity. So I, do, I don't know that we should expect it continuously. There seems to be periods of time where those are, those are intense, intensified. I don't know if that helps. Because at one time the church was so powerful here, but overseas, 
there's an awful lot of evil and a lot of uh, a lot of that you know that you you read about uh, these people. hesitate when it comes to demonic but some of the things that are done I, I don't know how else I would yeah I, I think there is a sense in which they are more welcoming of the overt overtly dynamic I don't necessarily think that that necessarily makes them worse or or I'm not even sure I would even use the, the language we've been protected although you perhaps could think in those terms I, I think I think Satan has has his ways, and it's not as though he's being unsuccessful here. Even right now, so much cruelty is over in that part of the world. And we're being persecuted as a church right now, but nowhere near what they're facing over there. And yet the church is flourishing there uh, and while it's in decline well, here. Parts, so, of, parts of it are, but a lot of them are sacrificed. And yeah. People are losing their Sure. Uh, losing their life, they're, they're, they're being cut off, you know, it's just, uh, they're being tortured and crucified, they're being uh, into sex slavery, and so many, right. I've been signing so many petitions from my ACLU. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But uh, there's a lot of stuff going on there that we've been kind of protected from. Yeah, right I, yeah I hesitate to make us, make us think that we're somehow better than they. I, 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 maybe it's, maybe I'm just a product of my day here, I but. I think we're better. I think we've been shown more mercy. Could be, could be. Uh, but I think that's about the end too. Yeah. And when you look at the statistics, when they talk about the, the apostasy, you know, the falling away of the church, it's, it's getting more and more and more uh, falling away, falling away. And as we come closer to the rapture, yeah, common grace is not evenly distributed, so it, it is possible that that can be the case. So, I said last week that there, these passages, while well, I think they are powerful, um, have been rigorously answered by those who disagree, and, and some of the arguments have been somewhat strong. And so, I, I want to list here another, oh, three or four, um, three or four arguments here that are not necessarily tied to a single Bible verse or passage, but I think still argue for a pre-tribulational rapture. In fact, perhaps more emphatically even than some of these verses. First is the argument from the place of the church in the book of Revelation. Of course, we know that the first three chapters of the book of Revelation are given over to seven brief letters uh, to churches that are in modern-day Turkey. But once you get to the end of chapter 3, the church disappears. There's no reference to the church from that point all the way up until chapter 19, and that reference is to the people of God being married in heaven, uh, to Jesus Christ. So, uh, so, the, so the, there is no apparent ecclesiastical presence in the whole book of Revelation, which just seems kind of weird. I mean, the whole, the whole Bible is, the whole New Testament is given over to instructions to the church, and then to get to this last book and, and talk about all that's going to happen in the end times without reference at all to the church 
is strange unless the church isn't there. And so, the, and so I think this sort of is a backwards argument here uh, for the removal of the church. Uh, so the, despite the glut of references to the church in Revelation 1 to 3, all reference to the church on earth ceases abruptly for the, for the balance of the book of Revelation. On the other hand, we find elders in heaven. We find the bride of Christ in heaven. This bride then accompanies Jesus in his final return in chapter 9. 19, excuse me. The fact that this marriage of Christ to the, church, to the church in Revelation 19 takes place in heaven strongly implies that the church in its entirety must be there. Otherwise, they are missing out. So what sort of groom, I say, would Christ be if he went ahead with the wedding ceremony while a portion of the bride is enduring unmerciful persecution on earth? And this is in keeping, then, with passages that we just read, such as 1 Thessalonians 4.17 and John 14.3, which indicate that believers will be removed from the earth to meet Christ in the air to go to a place where that he is preparing for them. So he's not bringing the place to them. He's bringing them to the place. Okay. So the fact that the church is absent in the book of Revelation is, I, I think, a strong argument from silence. I, and, I, and I recognize the weaknesses of arguments from silence, of course. But sometimes when we expect silence and we get it, 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 uh, there, is some, there, is some, there are some teeth to those kinds of arguments from silence. Thirdly here, the argument from the purpose of the tribulation. The tribulation has a number of names described as the time of Jacob's trouble, Jeremiah says. The 70th week of God's dealings with Israel. Luke describes it as a period of great distress for Israel and culminates in the wholesale embrace of Messiah by the, by the ethnically defined house of David. Okay, Since, as we've seen, these designations are not used to reference the church, we conclude that the tribulation is not directed towards the church, but represents the promised renewal of God's attention towards the chosen nation of ethnic Israel. It is the winnowing event. These seven years uh, are, are this crucible whereby Israel is gathered from the four corners of the earth. They are, they are proved and they coalesce here in Israel and it and it, and it looks like the, the totality of these Israelite people are finally going to be snuffed out, and they are clustered here in Jerusalem, and the armies of the world are just squeezing in on them, about to eliminate them from existence finally and for good, and what will happen? Christ will appear on the Mount of Olives with, with spectacular power. I mean, the whole mountain's going to split in two. The whole geography of the land is going to be completely redone, right? And they will look upon him whom they have pierced, and they will weep. And, and I think their, weep, their weeping is that of, of regret, but also of repentance. And uh, they will all call upon him uh, from, and serve him from shoulder to shoulder. And so this, this, this mass conversion of Israel takes place at the end of the tribulation, and we find that the tribulation has all been building to this point, where Israel is finally uh, brought to the place uh, of blessing uh, by, 
uh, Messiah himself. Okay? And so the, the, the tribulation is not directed towards the church, but is the promised renewal of God's attentions towards the chosen nation of Israel. Okay? And so it's not surprising then that the church does not participate in the tribulation. Rather, it's a time of Jacob's trouble. It's a time for Israel uh, to, be, uh, uh, to, be, uh, to be winnowed. Okay? And then finally, a fourth argument here is the argument from imminency, which we've already mentioned here, right? It's the doctrine that no one knows the time of the rapture. We don't know when Jesus is going to come back. It can occur at any moment, and this rapture is fundamentally signless. There are no prophecies in the Bible that need to be fulfilled before the rapture occurs. It's both unannounced and unexpected. And if this doctrine can be biblically established, it's argued here, then the rapture cannot occur at the middle or the end of the tribulation because it could be timed. And so let's look at this idea of imminency as it's just discussed in the scriptures. Paul spoke of himself as, you know, he, he anticipates the possibility that even he might be taken up with the church. So, so he has this, he's got this anticipation. As you read through the book of Thessalonians, there is this, there is this the carrot that's held out in front of them that even you might be raptured. Because there doesn't, there are no prophecies that have to be fulfilled before the rapture takes place. Paul himself thought perhaps that he might be one of those who would not sleep, but would be caught up together with Christ. Other texts speak of Christ's coming being at hand. Four times that phrase is used, and they're all listed there. That is, it's liable to happen suddenly at any time. Okay. Further, we're instructed to watch for it. And I think that's in every age. We are to be constantly mindful of the fact that Christ could come again. You know, I, I did mention that uh, elderly lady last week who was who was concerned that uh, uh, Christ would come and find her in a movie theater, and we chuckled a little bit here. But but you know I had to appreciate this. She she was thinking, you know Jesus could come at any time, and because that is true, I don't want to be found in a compromising situation, and I appreciate that. Okay, and I think we all should be living in in that way, uh, because. Because that, that's the expectation. We're supposed to be watching and waiting for his return. I think we, think, I think we do much too little of that in life. Okay? Uh, I, I, I remember uh, Dr. McCune, one of the last times he was in one of those question-answer periods. He, doesn't like the, he didn't, never liked those question-answer times. But uh, uh, somebody, somebody asked, uh, you know, what, it, was, it was on preaching. and what, what, what topics are neglected that need to be preached? And he said, the second coming. No doubt. We've, we've stopped preaching about it, and I think he's right. You know, during the 70s and 80s, we probably preached it to death, and so there's been something of a pendulum swing uh, that we don't preach about it much at all, and I think we probably need to drift back towards center here, okay? Because we're supposed to be watching for his return, because it could happen at any time, okay? Now, there are those who don't believe in imminency, and uh, it's not just those who believe in 
you know, uh, the, these alternate views of the tribulation, uh, of, the, of the rapture. Sometimes it's pre-tribulationalists too. I think there tends to be uh, sometimes among those who are, uh, are uh, uh, you know, enthralled with end times uh, intrigue, that there's there's some there's some signs of the of, of of the second coming. There are things that are coming together, and they're all they're all making the second coming more likely now than before. And the fact is, the the coming of Christ is no more likely now than it was in Paul's day. You know, Paul anticipated it could happen then, and he encourages us all in every age to to be excited about the prospect and constantly entertaining it that Christ could come at any time because there is nothing that has to happen. No signs have to be fulfilled uh, in order for this to happen. Okay? So, so what are some of the objections then to imminency? Well, several passages I say here imply that there are signs during the eschatological period, but there are none, however, uh, that are demonstrably rapture passages. For instance, the coming of the man of sin and the signing of the treaty with Israel, which are essential to the commencement of the tribulation, take place after the rapture. We don't have to identify the Antichrist before the rapture can take place. Okay? He will be revealed after we're taken out of the way. Remember the restrainer. Once the restrainer is removed, that's when the man of lawlessness is revealed for whom he is. Okay? Likewise, the temple will be in operation sometime during the first half of the tribulation, Daniel says, but the temple doesn't need to be rebuilt in order for the rapture to take place. Okay? I think that's another, another idea that some people have. Okay? We've, got, we've, got, we've got to get rid of that, that, that you know, the dome of the rock there. We've got to get rid of that thing so that we can build the temple so that Jesus can come again. Well, no, no, we don't need to do that. Uh, now, if those things would happen, that would be a that would be remarkable, and it would be a, 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 a perhaps a, a an indicator to us that you know these things will in fact happen. But those things don't have to happen in order for the rapture to occur. Okay, in fact, there's all kinds of intrigue, as I understand it. There, that they're they're ready to build that temple in a in in no time flat if they ever got the opportunity to. Quick question. Yeah. It could. Yes. Yeah. I, I, and I th I think and I think you know it's, uh, sometimes sometimes we say well you know wow what's happening in the world today this has got to be an indication that the rapture right around the corner. I think people have been saying that for the last 2,000 years. <laughs> and, and while, you know, things are demonstrably not very good right now, it's not as though they've never been worse. Uh, so, so it's, I, 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 you're right. It, but I, but I, but I think you're, you're, you're right. There is, there is, should be in every age this thought, you know, you know, things are, things are really set up so that the rapture sounds like a really good idea right now. <laughs> and I think, that, I think that's, that's, that's a healthy way to think. Not because you want to escape your problems, but because you, you long to see right, uh, wrong uh, righted. So I, th I think that's a good thing. Yeah. 
follow up. Just my thought is that, um, like, I, I, listened, I watched this documentary about the Jehovah's Witnesses, and these people were talking about how basically their entire lives were dominated with terror of the second coming, huh. the apocalypse, and Armageddon and stuff. And I've heard other kind of Christians, like you were talking about, you know, pledging things that have compromising positions. I don't think it's, like, just when I teach my children, I don't think it's really a healthy kind of thing to have it unbalanced. Right. You know, I just want to tell them, it's like, listen, yeah, he could come now, but I don't want them to be a situation where they're 50 years old and they're like, oh, I've been thinking about the rat and it's never happened and they kind of feel wore out because yeah. they're so consumed with it. You know, because the other, the, the flip side is if he doesn't come in your lifetime, th th that's his choice. Right. Right? And you need to be, you need to be a, a faithful servant, period, whether he comes or not. So it doesn't, you don't have to be thinking like, oh, Jesus is going to come today and that's your whole motivation. Right, I th and I think Second Peter is written for that very purpose, right? It's a defense of the second coming in the face of the fact that he hasn't come, and he hasn't come, and he hasn't come, and there are people in the church who are saying, where is this promise of the coming? Right. Uh, you know, ever since the beginning, everything's continued the way it always has. We haven't seen Jesus appear in the sky, okay? And so, so Peter says, but you need to be reminded. You need to be reminded. You need to be reminded. This, this, this theme of this thread of reminding goes through that whole book because of that. You know, because there is a sense in which we can, we can, we can have uh, watchers fatigue, if you, if you want to put it that way. Um, so you're right. Yeah. So that's why, we need to be, that's why we need to preach about it. Be continuously reminded. Yes, sir? We have a, an online question. Okay, what's that? <laughs> it says, uh, Christ waits for the whole church for the wedding. What about those converted during the tribulation but miss the rapture? Okay, so those who are converted during the tribulation who do miss the wedding, what happens to those? And the answer is, well, they're not the church, okay? Um, uh, we'll, we'll talk about that in a little bit here. Um, but uh, the, the church, again, is part of this dispensation uh, in which this people of God that is the church is wedded to Christ... These people serve as the kingdom of, uh, they, 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 they are the rulers. They rule and reign with Christ for a thousand years. Israel is another people of God that serve as a kingdom of priests for the nations. But where do the nations come from? That, that's, that's the group you're talking about. So that, that third group here is the nations. These, these people who enter into the millennial state survive the tribulation and convert during the tribulation, these make up the masses of the nations that will be ruled and who will be represented uh, by this kingdom of priests, which is Israel. So, so we've, got, we've effectively got more than one people of God in the divine administration. It doesn't mean that they are somehow better or, uh, than, than, than each other. Uh, but we, again, that's one of the... That's one of the things about dispensationalism that's sometimes misunderstood. It's, there's are dispensations of the rule of God, not of salvation. So it's not as though we're talking about different groups who are saved in different ways, but rather we're talking about the administration of, of God's kingdom, okay? And, and it has different representative groups in it, okay? I don't know if that, that helps. Okay, 
Another objection to imminency is the Olivet Discourse, which we mentioned last time. I think we can go through this one pretty quickly here. Uh, these exhortations, I say here, are exhortations for Israel to watch for the second coming from the standpoint of the tribulation. Okay? They are not exhortations for the church to watch for the rapture. Uh, note, for, no, note the following here, and I'm trying to get there as I read here. The occasion for Matthew 24 and 25, as, as discussed in Matthew 24, was the destruction of the temple. False messiahs, the Mosaic ordinances, and other Jewish phenomena that were going to fade away in the coming years. Again, the same thing. The occasion for 1 Thessalonians 4 was the concern about resurrection of church saints. So we've got some, a different occasion here. Matthew 24 and 25 is filled with signs of the second coming. There are lots of signs in chapters 24 and 25 of Matthew. These aren't signs of a rapture, but rather signs of the second coming, which we should be able to anticipate. It's going to happen after seven years. Matthew 24 and 25, unbelievers are taken away and consigned to outer darkness and eternal punishment, while believers remain to greet the Lord, feast with him and receive positions in the kingdom. But in 1 Thessalonians 4, believers are taken away to be with Christ. And this is particularly uh, true in the, in the tares illustration. The tares are taken away and burned, and what remains is the, is the good crops, the good fruit. Now, that's opposite of what we would expect in the rapture. Uh, if, if the rapture language were used, the wheat would be taken out, and then the tares burn, but it's actually the opposite. Okay? Matthew 24 and 25 deals with individuals living on earth. 1 Thessalonians 4 is really primarily concerned about those who had died in Christ. Okay, the specific term dead in Christ is a term that's used of church saints, um, and it seems to be, have specific reference to the church as opposed to Israel, uh, the, those who are elect within the nation of Israel. Unbelievers figure prominently in Matthew 24 and 25. They're absent in 1 Thessalonians. Angels do the gathering, Matthew 24 and 25. Jesus does the gathering in 1 Thessalonians 4. So we've got a different situation here uh, in Matthew 24 and 25 than we do in 1 Thessalonians. So why is this important? Well, the language of eager expectation and alertness can be used for both imminent and non-imminent events. So we should be watchful for things that are we don't know the time of and for those that we do know the time of. But the compounding of the language of expectation in the context of these rapture passages, together with the fact that Paul himself thought he might be part of it, suggests that the rapture of the church is an imminent event distinct from the second coming. You can't anticipate when it's going to be. It's actually probably going to come at a time where we least expect it to come. Okay. And so, we will go to another place. Uh, we will go to heaven during this seven-year period. So during the tribulation, the church is in heaven. It is in my Father's house. Now during the millennium, the church and other New Testament saints will come back with him and reign with him for a thousand years. He who overcomes, John says in Revelation 3, 
I will grant him to sit down with me on my throne, just as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. Interesting uh, dynamic here. There is the throne of God himself that Jesus has access to, but Jesus has his own throne, which he is able to share with us. We will reign with him, and we will uh, uh, rule with him on, from his throne. In Revelation 20, I saw thrones, they who sat upon it. Judgment was given to them, and I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony for Jesus and because of the word of God, and those who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received the mark on their forehead, and they came to life and reigned with Christ a thousand years. During the eternal state, then, the church will inhabit the new Jerusalem with the angels, the saints of all ages, and of God himself. Now, I don't know that this means that they will be restricted to this city, uh, but this will be sort of the hub. This will be the capital. I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. Come here, I will show you this bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away into the Spirit, into a great and high mountain, and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down from, from, out of heaven from God. And so this is going to be the hub. This is going to be the, the centerpiece of, this, uh, of, the, uh, of the new arrangement. So that at the end of time, this is the grand climax. Behold, the tabernacle of God will be among men. He will dwell with them. They shall be his people. And God himself will be with them and be their God. Okay, so that's, uh, that's where the church is going to uh, go and return uh, from. Okay, any questions on that? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, there, there is a sense that throughout the tribulation, there will be a winnowing that takes place. There will be a lot of Jews who die who, who do not exercise faith. But it seems like this last group, the remnant that survives, they will all, following the language of Romans chapter 11, all Israel will be saved. So at that time, every surviving member of the Israelite community who is in that, you know, that I, I, have, I have this picture of the, the Lord of the Rings. They're in the keep, right? You know, and, uh, and, 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 and Christ comes, you know, and, and I think that's probably what is being, it, being represented in Tolkien, incidentally, with the arrival of Gandalf, remember? Grandolf, Gandalf the White. I don't know if you're not familiar with the story, it doesn't help, but, but, but there's this arrival here 
with the dawn of Gandalf, and he rescues those who are in the keep. And I think it's, that's a picture of what's going to happen at, at this time. Jesus is going to come and rescue those, that remnant. And at that point, all Israel will be saved. And so there will be a mass conversion of all remaining Jews so, so that, that fulfillment, the fulfillment of that passage takes place. But you're right. Throughout the tribulation, not all Jews are going to get into heaven. There are going to be those that are weeded out, as it were, uh, throughout, throughout the tribulation period. But that last group at the end, I think that will be converted in mass. One last thing I think we can get through before we uh, call it a night here is the marriage of the church and the marriage supper. I think it's important that we see uh, the sequence here because uh, I think sometimes we get a little confused on that. First, there's the betrothal. 2 Corinthians 11 speaks about the fact that God is jealous for you with a godly jealousy. I betrothed you to one husband so that to Christ I might present you as a pure virgin. And so... Uh, the betrothal has taken place and the preparation is ongoing, right? Husbands, love your wives. Just as Christ also loved the church, gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her and prepare her, cleansing her by the washing of water with the word, presenting her to himself in all of her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but being holy and blameless. So there's this betrothal, the preparation, and then the wedding proper actually takes place in two parts. The ancient Near Eastern wedding is not like uh, the modern weddings that, we take that take place here in the West. I don't know if there is a standard procedure anymore, but in the ancient Near East, uh, the marriage festivities had two parts. First, there was a ceremony and meal at the home of the bride's father, and then it would be a, a small local uh, uh, group, and then the entire wedding party would move to the home of the bridegroom where a second feast would be held. And the marriage of Christ to his bride seems to have these two stages as well. The marriage proper, which takes place, Revelation 19 says, in heaven, apparently sometime near the close of the tribulation. Um, and then the marriage supper takes place after the wedding, but apparently not in heaven, but on earth where they arrive and some of the virgins are prepared and some of them are not, right? But, uh, and, and some of them are excluded then from the festivities. But then the, 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 uh, the, uh, the, this feast takes place on earth. Okay, so the marriage is in heaven. The feast, the marriage supper, is on earth. So there's this two-part uh, wedding ceremony that takes place. And it's all wrapped around here, uh, this coming of Christ. And who's in this wedding? And here, here again, I think, is an argument here for a, a, sort, of a, a, sort of an abstract argument here for a pre-tribulational rapture. There's Christ, who is the groom. No questions there. The church, who is the bride. Okay? But then there's other people there. Okay? If, if the bride is the elect of every age, then who are all the guests? There's a, there's a vast number of guests who come to this. So, so who are these guests? Well, if not the church, who is there? Well, Old Testament saints. Um, 
Some, perhaps those are the friends of the bridegroom, perhaps the, the groomsmen, we might say, and then tribulation saints who are the attendants of the virgins. Okay, So the, the bridesmaids, as it were, the virgins who are all prepared for the, for the coming of the, of, the, uh, of the wedding party so there can be a grand feast. So uh, we, we have more than one people of God, if I can put it that way. I recognize we can speak in terms of the one redeemed community, the elect of every age, but there's contours in this group, okay? There's Israel, there's the church, there are those who survive the tribulation and are converted there and enter into the millennium. Uh, so so there, there's, there's more than, there, there's contours uh, to the elect of God, and it reflects then in this wedding ceremony. Again, we don't want to make an analogy walk on all fours, but the analogy really wouldn't make sense if Christ is marrying the totality of the elect from every age. There's, there's got to be some explanation for the rest of the people that are there. And I think uh, a pre-tribulational rapture gives us, gives us fodder for that, some, some explanation of that. Okay? Thoughts and questions as we wrap up this uh, this rapture of the church. Yes, sir. I got a question on the tribulation uh -huh. thing, um, so to speak. So the people that go through that and become believers, what would happen to them when they pass them? If they would die, if they're not in glorified bodies, would they then get a glorified body? It's hard to know. Uh, we we. I mean, we we see them, uh, we see their uh, their souls before the throne, crying out for 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 deliverance for the people on earth. So, uh, it's it's perhaps they have some sort of a, a disembodied existence, um, uh, and uh, just like we do when we die, um, and they're not part of the church proper. Uh, it, but it's hard to know exactly what happens. We do, we just don't get enough, a lot of data for that. Good question, though. Okay. We will see you next week, and we'll start talking about this Antichrist. And it's not, it's not Joe Biden. <laughs> <laughs> <So>. <laughs>